Hello, and welcome to The Overtake. I'm your host, John Bazella, President and CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. This podcast is about the automotive industry and the people, events, and policies that shape it. This podcast is presented by Intel, a global technology leader. Together with subsidiary Mobileye, Intel is revolutionizing technology for the automotive industry, delivering best-in-class automated driving solutions to make roads safer for all. Learn more at Mobileye.com. And joining us today is someone who knows a thing or two about the great work on automation that is happening over at Intel and Mobileye. We're talking to Jack Wiest, an Intel fellow, the chief technology officer for Intel's corporate strategy office, and the vice president of automated vehicle standards at Intel's AV subsidiary, Mobileye. In this role, Jack leads a global team working on AV safety technology and the safety-related standards needed for wide-scale AV adoption. So what better topic to explore with Jack than automated vehicles and efforts to develop the necessary safety standards to support their deployment? There are key questions and concerns that have emerged around the benefits of automated vehicles and how to bring them to market at scale, including efforts to increase public trust in AVs, how we measure and define driving safely in AVs, and the process of getting these vehicles on the road. As you might imagine, these are all topics that Jack has spent years working to address and topics that we will explore further during our conversation. We were thrilled to have Jack as part of our Autos 2050 Summit last year to speak on this topic, and I am looking forward to continuing this conversation today. Jack, welcome to The Overtake. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So you've spent quite some time, two decades or so, at Intel working on cutting-edge technologies and products. And what got you started? What drew you to this line of work and ultimately to Mobileye? Yeah, it's a great place to start by by way of introduction. Uh, I grew up in a car family. My dad was a car nut. The joke was always, how many cars did my parents have versus years of marriage? And we needed to make sure that the number of cars was always more than the years they were together. And so uh, I grew up in a car family. I love cars. Uh, I love driving cars. But you know what? Uh, when I was 16, I totaled a car. <laughs> you know, uh, We aren't always the best drivers. Uh, and driving is fun, except when it's not you know, like rush hour traffic and things like that. So what drew me to this work was certainly safety to start. The statistics, uh, we know them by heart, almost because we've become numb to it. But when you think about what the numbers say, you know, 100 plus people in the U.S. dying every single day because of humans behind the wheel, that's a terrifying statistic. I mean, if you think about any other consumer product, if it costs that number of fatalities on a daily basis, we probably wouldn't be able to buy our own such a product. So we've kind of become immune to this and the trend's getting worse. The, the recent data shows that, that numbers are starting to go the opposite direction. So we've got to solve the safety challenge, increase access of mobility uh, for all people. And so what in particular drew me to Mobilize Solution is their commitment to scale. And I think that's an underappreciated aspect of what we need to do if we're going to do it right in this industry. Because if we can deliver you know, an incredibly safe vehicle, but it costs $100,000, that's not a vehicle that can scale that you and I will ever own. If we can deliver an incredibly safe automated vehicle, but it can only operate in, in geo-fenced areas uh, and, and not deliver those benefits to folks that live in, in rural areas, then we're not doing our job. 
that's something that's always been a hallmark of Mobilize approach, whether it's for driver assistance or, or fully driverless, uh, is that it's got to scale, you know, both from an economic standpoint, but also from a technical standpoint. So I feel like I've got the best job in the world and I couldn't be happier to, to be part of this effort. It's fascinating. And I love the car family dynamic. And I can certainly appreciate that. Let's stick with safety. We are seeing some progress with regard to testing uh, and deployment. You mentioned the statistics. How important when we think about safety and we think about those statistics we're talking about, whether it's highway fatalities or crashes, how important is it that we consider public trust and acceptance uh, of AVs when we think about deployment? Yeah, I think it's critically important. Uh, we've got to convince the public and establish some trust uh, that the technology works. And that starts first with transparency and being open and committed to being open and sharing information about how the automated vehicle works. Why does it make the decision that it makes? Why do we believe that it's safe? This kind of trust me, it's a magic black box of AI. <laughs> we think isn't going to cut it for the regulators, let alone for the general public. But I think the problem that we have, or maybe the challenge, or of course opportunity, is that trust is ultimately not so much a technical thing, but psychological. You know, if you look up the dictionary definition of trust, uh, I believe it says something like it's the belief in the truth, strength, or integrity of someone or something. And these aren't attributes we typically apply to machines. <laughs> so, But ultimately, that's what we're asking the public to do is to trust these machines. And so we could provide and share all the technical information that we, that we have to prove that it's safe, provide the mathematical proofs all day long. But if we can't establish that psychological trust with the public, they're not going to accept this technology uh, or embrace it. And so I think one, one of my most interesting research studies was a, a project out of the University of Chicago that was done by an experimental social psychologist not a computer scientist or a data scientist, but a social psychologist. And they put people off the streets into two different automated vehicles. And there was a, a fixed route for each of them. This was all done in a simulation lab. And there was a crash that happened in the same exact spot on both of those routes. The only difference between the two vehicles, where one was anthropomorphized and the other one wasn't. Uh, and in the vehicle that was anthropomorphized, it had a name, it had a gender, and it had a voice. And so when Dr. Epley from the, the University of Chicago, who did this study, interviewed people after the, the simulated ride, they talked to them about, what do you think of the technology? Would you ever use this? Who do you think was responsible for that crash? And then the people that were in the non-anthropomorphized vehicle, they blamed the automated vehicle technology. And the people that were in the anthropomorphized vehicle that had a name, a gender, and a voice, they blamed the other vehicle. So it just shows you that trust in technology is so deeply rooted in our psychological kind of notions of trust and truth that I think as an industry, we, we need to not forget that. And so we need to do both, prove uh, that the technology works from a, a transparency and commitment to sharing data. But we've also got to remember that the general public are not all data scientists and they're not all engineers or physicists. And so we've got to make sure that we're bridging that psychological trust gap at the same time. Right. And when we think about the public or we think about kind of the stand-in for the public, meaning the regulators, your commentary and especially the description of that research raises, in my mind at least, a really interesting question, which is 
how do we think about the appropriate level of safety? And, you know, the inevitable comparison is, of course, to a human driver. In other words, should AVs be as safe as human drivers? Should they be safer than human drivers? So is it realistic to think about AV technology and the automated driving system as a comparison to human driving? Yeah, I think in, in a sense, we have to only because if the if these vehicles aren't safer than a human driver, then what's the point? I think the challenge, and you're raising a really good point, is what is that comparison? Are we talking about a drunk driver, uh, a, a fully aware driver, a, a highly trained driver? Because humans, you know, when we're paying attention and we're on our phone and things like that, we can actually be quite good. So it's a very high bar. We, we might know friends and family who have never been in a, in a car accident in their entire life. And so I think that's one of the challenges, particularly as we work with regulators, is to understand what are the metrics that we're using uh, to compare ourselves to human drivers and what kinds of human drivers. And are we talking about just crashes? Or what about near misses? You know, going back to that psychological safety thing, you might have an automated vehicle that provably never crashes, but drives so such like a maniac that it, uh, it terrifies everyone else on the road. Is that car equivalently or more safe than a human driver, even if the human driver has more crashes? I don't know. Psychological safety might say I'm more comfortable with that human driver, even though they've got more crashes on their record than that other driverless vehicle that drives uh, really crazy. So I think that's kind of one of the biggest challenges. Uh, and I think adding to this complexity, is that most of the metrics that we use today that come from traffic engineering were designed for human drivers in mind. Things like TTC, for example, which I think we need to ask ourselves, is that even the right metric to apply to a driverless vehicle? Because remember, it was designed for a human in mind. And so I think some of these metrics don't translate. And I think we run into trouble when we try to apply them to driverless vehicles. So we certainly don't have all the answers. But I think that going back to the original root of your question, I think we must accept that it is reasonable uh, to compare the performance of an automated vehicle to that of human drivers, because ultimately going back to that safety, those safety statistics, that's what we've got to improve. We have a moral imperative, if you will, to do so. Yeah. And so how do we do that? I mean, when I think about other advances in safety, whether it's crashworthiness advances or even ADAS technologies, automated support systems, active safety systems, I guess is a better way to put it. We have seen industry standards, proactive industry standards that have set the stage for those advances. Do you see the same trend with automated vehicles? Are we heading in that direction or should we be? Yeah, I think we should be. It's an interesting comparison if you look at the uh, aerospace industry. When automation systems were first introduced into commercial aircraft, there were safety issues. Pilots were confused about the capabilities of the automation system. They weren't clear on when was it active, when was it not. The performance of the system varied across manufacturer. And so the FAA recognized that, hey, this technology has potential, but we're starting to see some issues in its introduction. So let's take a different approach. And what the regulator there did is they brought companies together uh, and they said, hey, let's look at this technology and identify in advance of deployment and proactively understand and define what is risk and what does safety mean in this context. And so doing so led to some one of the safest couple decades in the history of that industry. But it took those players coming together 
to really come to terms with that question, you know, that you asked about what does, what does, in that case, flying safely, in our case, what does driving, yeah, driving safely, safely mean? Yeah. Right. And I think what's interesting about that is, is driving safely, we think about is like just the rules of the road. Are you traveling within the speed limit? Are you stopping at stop signs? Are you stopping at traffic signals or, or going only when you're supposed to? And that's part of it and a, an important part of it, for sure. But if it was that easy, we'd probably be done by now uh, because that's the easy part. Those rules are explicitly defined and fairly easy to understand. I think the challenge with driving safely, particularly from a human perspective, is it, it's the implicit sort of driving rules. It's the cultural driving behaviors. And when, when we take our, our driver's license test, the adjudicator for sure is looking, are we following the explicit traffic rules? Uh, but they're actually looking at our driving behavior. How aggressive are we off of the line? <laughs> how how mm. strongly are we braking? Are we slamming on our brakes all the time? Are we being rude and inconsiderate when, when merging? Are we driving in a way that's culturally acceptable? And that has as much to do with driving safely as crashes and stopping at stop signs and the explicit traffic rules. And so we think this notion of driving safety, if we were to put a definition to it, is driving at a societally acceptable risk balance and proving that you're doing so. And when a human takes a driver's test, that's what you're doing, you know? And so I think it's a good model for us to consider that not only let's make sure all the technical bits are right, but how are we assessing that the vehicle is driving safely from a societal acceptance standpoint as well? So how do we do that when the driver that is, quote, driving safely or is being assessed as to whether it is driving safely is an automated driving system? How do you do that? It's a difficult challenge. And built into that automated driving system, of course, is a lot of proprietary magic that most vendors aren't necessarily excited about opening up and, and sharing. And so one thing, though, that, that was interesting that happened to us on this journey is, is back in, in 2017, Mobileye released the Responsibility Sensitive Safety Model. So they published openly to the academic world, hey, here's our thinking on what a safety model looks like. And others started to do the same. And what we realized is that there was one common thread that matched all of them or the road through all of them. And that was the need uh, to rely on this notion of an assumption and that assumptions are actually at the heart of driving safely from a societally acceptable risk balance standpoint. And so really that's what we've done in, in IEEE with this new standard that's coming out very shortly called IEEE 2846. And what it does is it standardizes assumptions. And so what I mean by that is think about a, a typical car following scenario. You as a human driver are following another vehicle. Implicitly, you're making an assumption about that vehicle that you're following. You're making an assumption about are they going to suddenly decelerate or not, and context is part of that. But also, if they were to start suddenly decelerating, at what rate should you expect them to decelerate? Because then that's why you need to moderate your distance to make sure that you've got enough following distance to be able to stop if they were to suddenly slam on their brakes. And so regardless of what sort of AI magic you're using for your perception system, your driving apology, or your strategy, or planning decisions like that, at the end of the day, you do need to make an assumption about what that vehicle might do, what's reasonably foreseeable to expect. And the human transportation network is full of assumptions all over the place that, that makes it work. You think about when we drive on a road right next to a sidewalk, 
we're cruising along at 40, 45 miles per hour, sometimes literally right next to a sidewalk. It's incredibly unsafe if you think about it, right? Especially if there's a pedestrian on that sidewalk. But it works. Why does it work? Because we make an implicit assumption that if there's a pedestrian on that sidewalk, they're going to stay on the sidewalk, not just laterally hop into the road at moment's notice. But why do we assume that? Well, that's both just in terms of what's um, reasonable behavior, but also things like the heading angle of the pedestrian, heading angle rate change, you know, what we intuitively understand about the kinematic capabilities of a pedestrian we know what's possible for them to do or what's not. And so then we make reasonably foreseeable assumptions about how to navigate around those. And so it's these kinds of assumptions that really are at the heart of all automated driving systems, regardless of your technical approach. And this is where industry has really come together to standardize these reasonably foreseeable assumptions as something that we can all agree on, uh, that we can all benefit from. And because it's based on physics at the end of the day, it's quite nicely technology neutral. And so it creates a level of playing field for us all. And so I can really see a benefit in that type of approach because you've got a very diverse ecosystem here, right? You've got different developers developing different technologies with different use cases, as well as different groups and stakeholders all invested in automotive safety. And so what this does, it seems to me, is it really sort of gets folks aligned around this idea of what driving safely is, right? And so it makes sense to me. So give us a little bit of a better sense of who was involved in developing this particular standard. What was that process like? Yeah, and to your point about, you know, sort of bringing everybody together, it's incredible how this concept of needing to define and standardize reasonably foreseeable assumptions brought so many different players to the table. So we have uh, world-leading OEMs like Ford, Volkswagen, Honda, for example. We've also got leading mobility as a service providers, folks like Waymo, who was actually the vice chair of the standard, Aurora and Motional and others. We have research institutes from University of Michigan. We even have government institutions like NIST has participated. And of course, silicon suppliers like ourselves and others. And so really it brought everybody to the table. So it was quite striking that once we sort of uh, realized that we all have this common theme and common need you know, how we were able to bring everyone together. So in near record time, especially considering we've been going through a global pandemic, we kicked off our standard in, in January, just before the pandemic hit. So we had one face-to-face meeting, the rest were all virtual. Um, but I'm proud to say that our standard is, is basically done. Uh, it's been approved. And so by the end of April, it'll be publicly available on the, uh, on the IEEE website. Amazing. So where do you go with this? Where does Mobileye go with this? What, what are the next steps here? Yeah, so it, the standard itself defines these assumptions, as we've been talking about. What it, These reasonably foreseeable assumptions that are based on kinematic properties of other road users. So whether it's deceleration of a vehicle that you're following, or it's the um, heading angle rate change possibility of a pedestrian, uh, or acceleration uh, of an occluded uh, vulnerable road user, for example. Uh, and so we define what are all the assumptions that shall be considered by the automated vehicle when it's making driving decisions. And the belief being that these assumptions need to be considered in order to quote unquote drive safely. Now, what our standard doesn't do is pick the values for those assumptions. So if we go back to that car following scenario, what should you assume is a reasonably foreseeable deceleration rate of that vehicle you're following? 
if you were to look at the technical specs of vehicles on the road, you might find 15 meters per second squared, maybe up to 20. Now, NHTSA did an interesting research study that found that it doesn't matter what kind of car a human is driving, human drivers decelerate with a rate of about six and a half meters per second squared. So what should the automated vehicle choose for that value for what it should assume is reasonably foreseeable for that leading vehicle in terms of its deceleration rate? If we choose the global theoretical worst case maximum, it'd be incredible for safety, but at what cost? It might mean that now the automated vehicle's got these incredibly long following distances. It's contributing very negatively to traffic flow. Traffic jams are increasing. And ultimately, you can't even get to your destination because you have to maintain these huge long distances behind other vehicles. Or do you pick something that's more reasonably foreseeable? But in that case, well, now you have a non-zero chance that there could be. And how would we feel about that You know, if there was a crash in that case? And so this is where choosing the values for these assumptions is critical. And so we view, though, this is where government and industry work together. So industry has defined the parameters. These assumptions are going to really govern the operation of the vehicle and how the safety model is going to make its decisions. But the values for these parameters really should come from government in the form of regulation. And our argument is government does this all the time. Today, when a new road is built, a value is selected the speed limit. And that value represents the societally acceptable risk balance for that roadway. If government wanted to eliminate all you know, injury, fatal accidents on every road across the world, we could set the global maximum speed limit to be five miles per hour. Be incredible for safety. Think of all the lives saved, right? So why don't we do that? Well, because of the, the loss of efficiency and utility of our transportation network. So government all the time picks numbers that represent a societally acceptable risk balance, whether it's a speed limit or there's a new regulation on audible sounds that electric vehicles have to produce when operating you know, below certain speeds, um, and a variety of other things. And so ultimately, we think it's government's role to do that. But with this new standard, IEEE 2046, industries define the parameters for government to provide the values for. So we look forward to working with them on, together on that. Yeah, so it's an important building block to that next set of conversations and engagement. And I think that as somebody who operates at this intersection of automotive innovation and public policy, I think having this sort of fundamental building block will be important for policymakers and regulators as they start to look at those those next steps. As we start to wrap up here, Jack, you know, brought the aperture and 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 let's think, you know, broadly uh, about automated vehicles. So this standard work is really important. What else do we need to be doing as we look at AV deployment, especially with a focus on safety? Yeah, I think the main thing that we need to do is we, we've got to find new ways for our industry to collaborate and share information and data about how, how the technology works, uh, even with each other. I mentioned the aerospace uh, approach before, and in that part of the world, there are safe spaces that the FAA has created that when crashes happen, the whole industry learns about why did it happen, and let's try to work together to prevent that. The automotive industry, unfortunately, doesn't quite have that history nor does the Department of Transportation in terms of convening and creating safe spaces to, to share that data. 
when defect and crash investigations happen, the results are often locked up with just that one manufacturer. And so we think collaboration and sharing in advance of deployment, which is the other really hard thing for our industry here. Typically, we do regulatory and safety standards sometimes decades after the introduction of a new safety technology. In this case, we got to do it the other way around. We've got to do it in advance. And that just makes the challenge even harder. But safe spaces for industry and government to collaborate together, I think, are really one of the, going to be one of the most important things. And we look forward to, to working with NHTSA and team on those activities. Well, Jack, thank you very much for being on The Overtake. It's been a great conversation, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here today. My pleasure, John. Thanks again for having me. For everyone else, thanks for joining us. This is the final episode of Season 1 of The Overtake, but we have a jam-packed Season 2 planned that will be full of engaging conversations with other industry thought leaders and policy experts. We can't wait to share those conversations with you soon. As always, remember to like and follow the Alliance for Automotive Innovation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to The Overtake wherever podcasts can be found. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.